Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago. Welcome to the 8 o'clock service. It's amazing that you're here, though. On Easter, we do an 8 o'clock service, and everybody's here, and they're all wearing yellow, and they're all happy. And the next week, we could never pull that off. Hey, I want to bring your attention to something that I'm really excited about that's been a long time in the making. Uh, It's called the PDX Civic Forum. Uh, There's a slide that we're going to show, but what this is, is kind of a, a, a space that we've created where... Leaders, uh, local leaders in government, city officials, leaders in our community, and faith leaders, the faith community, come together to discuss, uh, this one particular will be homelessness and foster care, to, to find ways that we can partner, find ways we can collaborate. We've always believed, we believe the scripture teaches that faith, our faith is something that takes place, should take place in the public square. It should impact the community and the world around us. And as we've been at this for several years now, we have the opportunity with new, newly elected officials to continue this tradition of collaborating, learning best practices from each other, and finding ways to sort of announce to the city of Portland that Jesus cares about our homeless population and our kids in foster care. This is an incredible opportunity for us to learn together from one another and to have this common dialogue in that space. And if you go to uh, pdxcivicforum.org, you have to RSVP to get a ticket. There's 200 spots left. And so it's our desire that that we would fill those up uh, this morning. So if you want to Open your phone. I know you never check your phone during the sermon, but if you did and you went to this and you registered, you would ensure that you have a spot there. It's an opportunity also for us to say to these city leaders that we're here and we care and we've been showing up and we're going to keep showing up uh, and we're going to find ways to be able to announce that Christ loves Portland, Oregon. And he loves the people here. So I hope that you will register and I hope that you'll show up to that. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're, uh, it's our second Sunday in Lent. And as we go through, uh, we're, we're really looking at how Jesus thought about the cross. How he talked about and processed this whole moment in history where the Son of God would be crucified to reconcile the world back to the Father. And in Matthew 16, we find this kind of really high point and a really low point where Christ talks about victory, but also that that victory is going to come through suffering. And what I want us to do is I want us to process how the disciples interacted with that idea, okay? Because I think we all in this room would go, we're totally down with victory. 
and most of us would go not stoked on suffering, right? It's just kind of the way that we're wired. It's the way that we're bent. And if we're honest, suffering produces for, for many of us, if not all of us, some of the greatest questions of our faith. And so I want us to have that idea as we walk through this passage, okay? Start with me in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the high point, okay? Jesus asks the question as there is, there is lots of opinions going on in the public square about who Jesus is. He's taught, he's interacted. People are trying to wrap their minds around like, what is this guy actually about? And so, Pete, so Jesus asks the question, who do people say I am? And they say, well, you know, there's all kinds of opinions out there. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And for every one of us that, that would claim to follow Christ, we have had to answer that question for ourselves. Who do you say I am? And so Peter answers. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. The Messiah was Israel's word for the spirit-anointed king, essentially. And so you are the spirit-anointed son of God. You see all three people of the Trinity in there. The father is the father of the son, and the spirit is the one that anoints the son. And Jesus says to him that, that this is the blessing of faith. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because it wasn't flesh, it wasn't your own cognitive understanding, it wasn't because you deduced certain things or because you're so spiritual, but my Father has revealed this to you. And that if you've come to that place where you have said, yes, I believe, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, then you've come to that place because the Father has revealed it to you. And then Jesus gives this beautiful kind of blessing. He says, you will be called Peter, Petra, which is the word rock. He literally, if he was around today, his name would be Rocky Johnson. It's, it's so cool. Um, and on this rock, I will build my church. On Peter, the apostle, as well as that confession, that when you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, 
the Spirit of God enters your life and you're placed in the body of Christ. That's how God is building his church. He says, I will build my church on this and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I think we have this picture that what he's talking about is there are uh, these huge gates of hell and they're trying to drag you into them. And we're like running for our life to get away from them. But the picture that that Jesus creates here is actually that hell is this sort of fortified city. The cities in that day had big walls to protect from intruders, to protect from armies. And the weakest place within that outer fortress were the gates. And if they could break through the gates, they could sack the city. Jesus is essentially saying this is a time where we're going to be playing offense against the gates of hell. That when we come up to the gates of hell, they won't be able to hold us out. He's saying the church isn't going to be running from the gates of hell. The church is going to be storming the gates of hell. Right? A totally different picture. That's why we engage in the city. That's why we jump into places like homelessness and foster care and sex trafficking. That's why we care about these things because these are places where the devil has desired to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus has come that we might have life. And for too long, the church has tried to hide behind its own gates to protect itself from the world and the culture as opposed to risking and busting into the gates of hell and being the ones who are rescuing and dragging people to freedom. That's why we do things like the Civic Forum, because that's what the church is supposed to be. Too often we sit back and we complain about the church instead of shutting up and being the church. Jesus is establishing the church, not us. Right? So yeah, it's weird, it's funky, sometimes it completely sucks. There's sin in it, but blame him. He's the one that started it, he's the head of it, right? It's his church, and the issue isn't that he's done it wrong, the issue is that we're not faithful to what he's called us to be. He never said go out and protect yourselves from the world. He said go out and proclaim me to the world. So there's this beautiful picture, this victorious confession. He says yes to faith. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Jesus says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. It will be victorious and it will storm the gates of hell. And when we say yes to faith, it comes with this blessing and this promise and this commission. Look at verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
Talk about going from the top to the bottom in like very little time, right? He just got like, you were the apostle, on you I'm going to build my church. And then Jesus is like, you were Satan. Right? That's, that's massive. If anybody ever calls you Satan, it's, it's sort of offensive, right? It's like, wow, you're not just wrong. You are like the epitome of all that is evil. Um, but this is, this is that human struggle with the way of Christ that he had just made this announcement, we're gonna bust through the gates of hell, we're gonna obtain victory, like we're, nothing's gonna stop the church, that Jesus, you are the anointed one of the Father, you're the son of the living God, you're the one that we've waited for, you are king over all things. And then he says, oh and by the way, we're going to Jerusalem and rather than overthrow Rather than sack Rome, rather than put myself on the throne, I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be put on trial. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And everything in Peter is like, no, 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 right? You have that wrong. All that he understands is that if Jesus dies, everything he said before isn't going to happen, right? How can we, how can he be the Messiah, the king over all things, and be dead at the same time? How can the church of God be established and the kingdom of God go forth? How can the gates of hell be destroyed if the king is dead? And so there's this total, like, upside down. Peter's, my job is to protect you, Jesus. My job is to keep you safe. My job is to be the one that steps in front of the sword when it comes after you. I got this. Don't worry about it. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It seems a little strong. Unless, unless the way to victory is actually through the cross, right? The Father reveals that Jesus is the Son of God and Satan whispers, never let him die, right? You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this is where we find that we live so much of the time. And so when we hear about the victory of Christ, when we hear about the kingdom of God being established on earth, we hear it through the lens of our human concerns. And yet, through the concerns of God and the purposes of God, there is something larger and greater that's going on in the spiritual world and in our world, then we understand or we can see. And so, is our confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, predicated on the fact that we understand everything he does? Or are we willing to trust that that victory is just as secure 
when we can't understand why suffering is happening. For Jesus, there wasn't a distinction between the victory of the kingdom and the establishment of the church and the gates of hell being stormed and him going to a cross and being beaten and crucified and dying. Those two things were not opposite in the purposes of God. But in Peter's mind, they were totally antithetical. They were complete opposites. You couldn't have this if you also had that. The path to victory always runs through the cross. The gates of hell are broken open through a dying king. Jesus rebukes Peter and calls him Satan because the the enemy's greatest desire is to thwart the purposes of God. What is happening? How are they supposed to understand these two completely, almost opposite realities? Well, here's the lesson in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming with his kingdom. Now he gets to it, and the point that he's making to them is that surrendering to the cross is the path to victory. The cross is this intersection of our human concern with suffering, our desire to avoid suffering, and the purposes and concerns of God. And they meet here in this place called the cross. Suffering is probably one of the highest human fears or concerns. And nowhere else, really, are we ever more vulnerable to our faith than when we're suffering, when we're hurting. And that's the place where we want to not carry our cross, we want to put it to the side. We want to just suspend our faith for a little while. We want to stop and we want to consider, but we don't want to act. Because there's too much skin in the game to actually be carrying a cross that is heavy and that I don't fully understand and announce that Jesus, you are the victorious king. For some reason that has no place in the American 
consumeristic mindset, right? It just doesn't work for us. And yet Jesus says unequivocally that the self-denial and cross-bearing is, means that we are going to carry our suffering while we confess our faith and our trust that Christ is king over all of this. That those things won't be separated. And so two things happen when we hit this place in our faith. One is we refuse, right? We refuse. We basically say, never, Lord. Never, Lord, right? Not only will you not die, I don't like that part of the story, and I definitely don't want me to die, and I don't want anyone to die, and I don't want any crosses, but I want all the resurrection stuff, if you could just get that without the death stuff, right? And so one response is never. When we, think, when we read this passage, we often think, Peter, I mean, Jesus is rebuking Peter, but that's not really what's happening. Jesus is responding to Peter who rebuked Jesus, right? It starts with Peter's rebuke, never Lord, right? And then Jesus responds and rebukes Peter. You can refuse. You can look at those crosses that you're called to bear and you can tell Jesus, never. This shall never happen to you. I think about how many of us are friends to people who are suffering in the way that Peter was to Jesus, right? I think we can easily come up to each other particularly when our friends are suffering and we can speak nonsense like Peter is to Jesus. That your friend's going through something really, really difficult and rather than praying for them and trying to trust with them and just recognizing that this is the way to life, this cross-carrying victory, we come on and we want to diminish the suffering or we want to pretend it doesn't exist or we want to ignore it. And we're essentially just doing what Peter did to Jesus, but we do it to each other. It's not helpful. I think Jesus understood that. He actually said, you're a stumbling block to me. In other words, if your version of Christianity leads you to tell people who are carrying their cross that they shouldn't have a cross, they shouldn't be concerned with suffering, that they're doing something wrong with their faith, you are a stumbling block to them. Because what they're doing is leaning into the weight that God has called them to bear in this path to victory. And too many times we just don't like to be around suffering, and so we say dumb stuff to make us feel better, thinking we're fixing it, and we're being Satan, which is kind of a bummer, right? For you, for them, for everybody. So let's not be Satan to each other. 
I mean, it's not a high bar, but let's shoot for it anyways. <laughs> In what way do you rebuke Jesus? Because you just don't want to carry your cross. I don't even have to tell you what your cross is. You probably know two, three, one major thing that you know you're being called to carry while trusting that he is the victorious king. In what way are you driven to rebuke Jesus? Beware of ignoring his rebuke back to you, right? Beware of just muffling out that, that voice that comes and says, no, that there, you're not doing anything wrong. This is the way. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And you keep saying, never, never, never. It's kind of like Jesus, you know, you have this shed somewhere in your heart, and that's where you keep the cross that you're supposed to bear. And Jesus is out by the shed, and he's waiting for you to come and pick it up and take it. And so you peek out the window, and there he is. He's like, come on. And you're like, shut the curtain and pretend you didn't see him. And then, you know, you go read like a, a bunch of articles on mindfulness, because that's really helpful. And uh, bullet journaling, that might make a big difference. And then you can watch Netflix for a while. And then you peek out the window, and he's like, I'm ready. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. And then you're like, Buddhism is interesting. And I'll listen to a podcast about that. And, uh, you, and, and, and eventually, I don't know what I think is going to happen, but maybe it'll just go away. And, but it doesn't. Like those things that you're trying to avoid that are there and they're yours to carry, they actually get bigger. They grow over time. You can't ignore them forever. And the invitation from Christ is, look, you can carry your cross because I've carried the cross, right? That you can put your shoulder underneath that thing because I'm going to bear that burden with you. That you can carry it and trust me that you will have victory. Because I carried mine, I died the death that you should have died, and I rose from the grave. And so that victory is sure, and it's coming. And that's the, and, and, and so there is one possibility we could just refuse, but the other one is that we would surrender. That we would surrender and believe that victory comes through cross-carrying faith. It just does. And, and, and if you have some version of faith that is going to get you out of having to carry your cross, it's just not the real thing. It just isn't. So don't be surprised that this is part of the deal. He said as much. It means that in suffering, we are going to confess Jesus as king over this. 
We're going to trust God with the things we don't understand and a future that we can't control. And as we do that, we begin to experience life coming through death. That, that, that what feels like we're losing our life is actually saving it. That when we ultimately let go, we actually find that Christ is securing us. Surrender is what this is, right? And the ego, we all have this ego, this kind of false self that's always stepping up you know, with Peter's little whisper going, never, never, never. There's ways around this. This shouldn't be, shouldn't exist anyways. If God was good, we wouldn't have to carry crosses. Like the ego is always trying to find out, but surrender silences the ego. And it creates the path in the way for trust. Right? Surrender silences the ego because it's this moment where you quit playing God and you quit trying to get out of stuff and you just go, look, this is the path and Jesus took it and it went through the cross and now I have a path that's coming after him and I have a cross to carry. Surrender silences the ego. And it paves the way to trust. And so he paints, he doesn't just say this, but he gives them tangible pictures of the future, that there is reward when Christ comes, the transfiguration happens next, and so they actually see him in all of his glory because he is king over all of these things. So when they see him bleeding and dying on the cross, they will also have in their mind his glorified, pure, risen, resurrected, reigning, and what he looks like there. And that you have a God whose victory is messy and sweaty and bloody and glorious and beautiful and resurrected like life. Right? That's how life is. And so we have hope of reward. But when we think about this, that victory comes through cross-carrying faith, I think about the questions and the commitments that that calls forth in us. The first is realizing that for some of us, we put that cross in the shed a long time ago. Uh, and, and for some of us, shame is the thing that keeps us from really following Christ. And shame is one of those, it's, kind, it's this really weird thing because it plays tricks on you. For some of us, we would say, well, I'm too ashamed and so I'm so bad that God could never want me. And we can dance around this game with shame. But, but what shame actually does is it keeps us suspended in nowhere to avoid carrying our cross. See, rather than going, God, I'm afraid, or God, uh, I, I'm, I, I don't trust you, or really dealing with the issues, we just stand back and we're like, I'm so messed up and I'm so bad and God could never like me. And, and that serves you, actually. 
And the way that it serves you is it just suspends everything so that you're, you're going nowhere. There's a cross, it's in the shed, but you're inside going, ah, I'm horrible, right? Jesus, he comes through and says, look, there is no shame in cross-carrying, but I am gonna do the heavy lifting, right? I'm gonna do the heavy lifting. We all think of our cross as like the biggest cross anyone's ever carried ever, right? All of us, under the weight of it, all of our crosses are heavy. Somebody told the story of a guy that carries his cross and all through his life he's carrying his cross and he's looking around and he's like, Lord, why can't my cross be lighter like her cross? My cross so heavy. I've been through so much, Lord, and I just wish that it was lighter. I wish it was a cross like theirs. And he would do this to every time he ran into somebody else. It was, why, why couldn't I have that cross, Lord? I've just, my cross is so big. And finally he dies, he gets to heaven, and Jesus is like, all right, we don't carry our crosses up here. That's what's great about heaven. And so why don't you go ahead and put your cross in the, in the room over there? And he takes it in, and all these giant crosses are there. And his was the smallest cross in the room, right? And he was like, wow, I guess, it, I guess it wasn't as heavy as I thought. I think that's how a lot of us think. Jesus is the one that does the heavy lifting. And so the invitation this morning is an invitation to surrender, right? To surrender to that confession that Jesus, you are king over all things, and to surrender to picking up the cross that you're called to carry and following him. To surrender by confessing that he is king while you trust him, with the things that you have to carry while you trust him with the things that you don't understand and while you trust him with the future that you can't control. But you deny yourself and you carry your cross and you follow him. And he says, this is how the kingdom breaks in on earth. This is how the kingdom's going to break into your life. As we prepare to come to this table, obviously the centerpiece of this table, the centerpiece of our story is cross-shaped, right? His body broken, his blood shed, that he bore the cross so that we could come after him, to follow him, to walk in his victory while we carry our crosses. And so I wonder today, what, is, what have you done with your cross? Do you, do you leave it in the shed and avoid it? 
Do you dance around in shame, trying to just kind of suspend the conversation by making it all about you? Do you find yourself judging other people's cross and just giving in and saying, mine's too big, Lord, you've, you've gone too far this time? What do you do when Jesus rebukes you? Do you dial him out, shut him down, quit listening? This morning as we come to this table, I want to invite you to just that very simple thing. And it's to surrender. To pick up your cross and to follow Jesus. To trust him. To have the victory. And to trust him with that which you don't understand. And his promise is that this is how you will experience his kingdom victory. So would you stand and pray with me as we prepare to worship this morning? If you want to pray and surrender to Christ right now, would you just raise your hand and leave it up? Just make this statement publicly. And would you just pray this in your heart? Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus, you bore the cross and reconciled all things back to yourself. Lord, today I choose to pick up my cross and follow you. To confess you as king and to trust you in pain. And to follow you into a future that you have promised is one of victory. Jesus, today, I surrender to you. I choose to follow you. Come with the power of your Holy Spirit and bear this burden with me. You are my victorious King. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amargodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.